All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. And today is November 6, 2020. Man, we have a lot to talk about. We've got some crazy happenings going on. We have a lot going on, actually. Um, I, you know, we have to uh, understand where we're at. We have to understand that everything that is happening right now, everything you are seeing, was part of it. We knew and we indeed mitigated. Remember, we were here at the beginning of the year in February, in March, in April, and in May. I spelled it out clearly, and I'm still looking for that um, show so that I can share it with you where I told you that these elections are not going to be called by election officials, where I told you that the elections are going to be called by the media. And that I also, I'm reminding you, why am I telling you this? Not to say, oh, look, I told you so. It's to tell you if I knew about it and I was telling you about it, obviously we knew their plan. That is my point. My point is that we knew their plan. This is how, this is how I was able to tell you that. I knew need you to stand strong to your core. If we were talking about this eight months ago, a year ago, and even a few weeks ago, where I told you the media is going to call it out, I'm not looking for you to give me a pat on the back. I already know. I can tell you the future. I already know that. I'm not looking for you to rub my back and give me a cookie. I am trying to show you that my past shows prove this future that we are at now. So if there's one of me talking to you and telling you this, imagine how many Tories are in the shadows working for you. How many of them? Because when I was booted out into the light, I did it to ensure that I was safe. You know, <laughs> it was really hard working for them and telling on them. You know what I mean? So I am trying to demonstrate it and show it to you. Please remember that I had said you need to be able to focus on your inner voice. I said, you know, after Labor Day, it's going to be crazy. And then Election Day, it's even going to be crazier. You got to stand with your core, stand to what you know is true. This is all you have to think of. There are so many of you demoralized right now thinking, oh my gosh, Biden won. What have we said about the media? What have we said about them? They're obsolete. They mean nothing. It is us. And I'm, I'm putting together something that I'm going to put out to you guys on Saturday, something that we can do something that we can do so there's tangible, visible evidence of how angry we are, but in a nice way, not going out on the streets so they can come and meet us on the streets and take us out and start a war. We're, we're not going to do that. We're going to be smarter than that. 
And so I will um, give that to you tomorrow and, you know, put it there. Guys, no matter what they tell you, right? It's kind of like this. How many people are telling you there is no God? For those of you that are religious, tons. There is no God. Where is your God? There is nothing, right? Nothing. They tell you this all the time. Well, does that mean that you don't believe in God? Does that mean you don't see him, feel him, feel happy within him, in his presence, if you are blessed at that point? You know, if, when you pray, do you not feel it? You feel it. So your feeling tells you what they're saying is wrong. So right now, you know, they've been, they were stealing the elections and they were showing it to you. Remember that image, that picture uh, that I, I, that I was, uh, I, I said it on Millie's um, stream uh, for elections. I told you two very important things. The left, the media and the right wing undercovers that you're now seeing. I told you, you will be surprised who is going to flip. Did you see that? Did you expect it so brazen? No, you didn't. And there it is. So I want you to imagine a street, just an average street from a movie scene with the brownstones and the kids, kids in the 80s with their high waters kicking balls, okay, in the street and their bicycles. I want you to picture that. And then I want you to picture all of the lefties, all of the fake MAGAs, all of the fake GOPers, all of the Congress, Democrat, and Senate, all of the mainstream media on one side of the street. And on the other side is President Trump kicking his little ball and holding a red balloon by himself. And you know what they're doing? Ha, what are you going to do about it? Ha, look at us. We're many. You're few. Ha, you underestimate the power of the people. It's actually, we are many, you are few. You just have a megaphone. You just have a megaphone. So I want you to picture, they're like, nee, 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 nee. look at us. We're going to call the president and everyone's going to listen to us and no one's going to listen to you. And we're going to have uh, the whole global media calling you a sore loser. Nee, 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 nee. Not so fast. So there's always mitigation when you know a plan. So if you know that a bridge is going to collapse, what do you do? You take another route. Right. You don't go over the bridge saying, well, I know it's going to collapse, but I'm still driving over it. If you know that, uh, you know, uh, a storm is going to happen and the power is going to go out, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the supermarket. You're going to buy water. You're going to buy toilet paper. Right. You're going to buy canned foods. What if you knew that the power was going out? You'd get a lot of those ready meals, uh, lots of cereal. Um, well, no, not, yeah, with powdered milk, I guess you would get stuff to mitigate it. So here's where we're at. We've been mitigating you guys. We've been mitigating. They got caught. We caught them all. There is nothing left. They are done. They are finished. Finito la musica. This is, you know, the, the, the final exhale that a dead person does. This is it. This is it. And they are going to try and they're going to go hard. You know why? Because every single one of you are demoralized. You believe what the media is telling you. You're sitting there. No, woe is me. Biden's going to be president. He's never going to be president. He's never going to be president. November 5th, they had a massive roundup.
Because while everyone was, no, no, let's get to the street. Nah, nah. The attorney general in Arizona had already set the deadline on November 5th, noon, for the election officials to respond to the Sharpie gate. We were all over this. We already knew. Huh. And wait till we get to the ballots. We need to get our hands on the ballots. Because if you guys listen to me on Millie, what did I say? I said something. And I did say it before in regards to mitigation. I said, you know, uh, the thing about counterfeit money is that there's a recipe and there's special threads that you think is one and isn't another. Damn. So there's one option. Damn. But you know what? We won't even need to go that route to prove the corruption. <laughs> We've got citizens that we're rounding up and they've committed federal offenses and they are going to jail. The president told you that yesterday. We're going to go to court. We're going to mess you up. I mean, I told you this and I told you that they're going to bank on the fact that you listen to them. I told you, be careful who you follow. Not because, uh, you know, I don't like them, but because they're the, the ones that are in in, you know, dressed in sheep's clothing that come to you as magas are the worst. The ones that come to you saying we're impartial, we're pro-America. Look at them now. Look at them now. Who is making you resonate on fear porn? Look at them now. That's what you have to see because there is nothing to be terrified. Did you see the president terrified when he was talking? Did you see him terrified? No, he was as cool as a cucumber. He walked in, he walked out. He said what he had to say, and he walked out. Fox News going hard, hard, hard. You see that uh, on the screen? That's right. The mainstream media is obsolete. Journalism isn't dead. Don't get me wrong. Independent journalism. That is what real journalism is. The people that dig, the people that look, the people that report the news for you. So I remind you. I'm going to go back in time to about, um, let's see, where is it? I'm going to find the year. I don't want to misspeak because of those of you that are listening on. Okay. So there was a video put out by um, where the great sociologist, Wright Mills, um, the father of power studies showed that unelected elite really rules America. This is from 2013, April 12th, 2013. So I want you guys to watch and listen, obviously, for those of you listening on the podcast, um, what he had to say back seven years ago. Now, this is all stuff that now is going to resonate with you. So, um, for those of you uh, now joining, yes, I'm on DLive. I'm on my YouTube, Tori Says News. Uh, that's the alt channel. And those of you that are watching this is a recast on my Tori Says Show YouTube. Uh, the link uh, to this, uh, to the video on the Tori Says News YouTube channel is in the description. Uh, I'm on Twitch, DLive, Facebook, Periscope. I'm so glad I'm back on Twitch. I love Twitch. Um, and um, here we go, guys. I want you guys to 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 put your you know when you see you're gonna be like damn if i watched this seven years ago yeah guess what it would go right over your head you're getting it now though you're understanding it now uh, that's the point so 
Let's take a listen to this. It's only guaranteed when you own the press. Communication breakdown. Pause for the message wake up. Every station is identification. Global syndication is the shaping of the nation. ABC, Disney, NBC, GE, Murdoch is Foxy, and with a hint, he owns a pen. The camera, the sword, by a Colt, by a Ford, getting broke, getting bored. And experience yours. From the earliest days, freedom of the press was what defined America. Thomas Jefferson, who helped write the Declaration of Independence, believed a free media was essential for a free nation, saying, were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without government, I should not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. That was in 1787. Today, our newspapers seem to be fading in importance in a multimedia world that is largely owned and controlled by a handful of large media corporations. I think we're probably the most media-dominated society in the world. Jeff Cohn worked in major media. Now he's one of the industry's fiercest critics. Half a dozen corporations own and control most of the mainstream media in our country. So if you're looking at who rules America or who owns America, it's the same people that propagandize to America. The press and the outlets that report news or convey information are just a small slice of vast media empires producing entertainment products that also sell a way of life based on consumption. When you look at who's on the boards of media corporations, they're also on the boards of U.S. oil companies and they're on the boards of uh, U.S. military contractors. So uh, trying to study who owns America, you're really also, these are the people that own the media. We don't have a state media, but in some ways it's very much like a state media. It's the corporate state. If this is true, then we can say that the American media doesn't just report news. As we'll see, it's independent of the system, but a pillar of it. It reinforces the worldview and defends the interests of those who rule America. Thirty years ago, 50 companies dominated American media. Now it's down to six. Here are some charts on media ownership that illustrate this concentration. With new global digital enterprises like Google, Facebook, and Twitter growing in importance worldwide, U.S.-based media became a transnational force. The U.S. media companies are themselves owned in large part by hedge funds, mutual funds, and finance companies. Barry James Dyke is an asset manager who has studied media ownership. The research which I've done is, is, is unequivocal, and I kind of stumbled into this, is that um, the, the media companies, the major media companies, i.e. the Disney's, the CBS's, the news corporations, all of them, this is all public documents, is that they're all owned, actually owned by Mutual fund companies, the majority shareholders are owned by mutual fund companies. So, um, and also, they also get a lot of their revenue from these companies. So, you're never going to see any consistent criticism about these fund companies. Are these companies investigated by the media? No, they're not. Are they responsible uh, to the public in some way? Are they accountable? Do the public really know what they're doing? The public really doesn't have a clue. They, they really don't know what they're doing. He has documented his findings with charts in his own book, The Pirates of Manhattan. Well, people are not going to be getting, not getting the truth. 
But there is a lot of coverage, especially of politics, that's often treated as a sporting event, with an emphasis on poll numbers and election results. Mary Boyle follows media coverage of elections for common cause. What about the role of the media? Is the media helping to strengthen our democracy, or do you think it's helping to divide us? Well, I, I think that's a great question. I, I think that, um, you know, there are a couple of things going on there. Obviously, you've got kind of cable channels that are, you know, in different camps, and they are not showing different points of view. You've got Fox News showing the right. You've got MSNBC showing the left. Um and so with a setup like that, you you have Americans that are just kind of tuning in to the channel they want to listen to that, you know, kind of expresses their views. And, and you're not seeing kind of a mix of an opinion, a debate, anything like that. You've also got, you know, the shrinkage of of the media. Um. So what is this telling you? I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause it. So back in 2013, they were talking how there's Fox and then there's MSNBC and how one is the right and one is the left. Do you see how they separate? But remember, what have I been saying for a very long time? The mainstream media is dead to us. And it wasn't dead to us until right on Election Day. Now you see how faux Fox, and I coined that, faux foxes, and hey, any other channel too. If they have a sponsor, they've got an interest. I don't care what anybody says. They could say, whoa, you know, but this channel is independent. No. You know who I trust to show me? Right side broad broadcasting network. Why? Because they're funded by you, the people. So when I see videos from them, I know it's not cut out. I know they're going to show me everything. They're totally going to show me everything. They're going to look at everything because they're funded by you and me. I subscribe to them on their YouTube thing to give them some money, um, you know, and I, I don't have much, but I give them what I have. And, and, and anytime they're on, I'll tip them five bucks and say thanks because that is how we drive independent media. This is what we need, independent media. They were telling you this seven years ago. Who owns it? Anybody who owns it is going to push. That's the way it is. Now, there's a lot of people saying something went down. It's probably because the title was updated because, unfortunately, the software that I used um, had emergency broadcast POTUS, um, you know, address. Uh, so just refresh. It'll be fine. I just wanted to say that to those that are watching now. Uh, but listen carefully to what they're telling you. This is really important because looking into the past, you see that everything was there for you. You just didn't have the ears to hear it and the eyes to see it. And now you are. You're awake or you're in the course of waking up because there's a lot of you that are saying, this is horrible. This is terrible. Uh, this is, you know, a big problem. I don't know what we're going to do. Biden won. He didn't win. He did not win. He hasn't won. He's not a winner. He's not winning. It's done. It's finished. So it's fine. The, the mainstream media is the one telling you that they're winning and they're not. They're not winning, guys. They're not. They lost and we caught them. They're just banking on your demoralization. 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 So um, that is how they're winning, by telling you that he won. I told you they were going to do it. Why? Because the media has the power. Why? Because we allowed them to have the power. We've been so busy, 
so darn busy with our lives, our debts, our backsplashes, our curtains, our pets to raise our kids. You know, that's life, right? We do that, that they took advantage of it and they threw you into it. That is it. That is it. No, YouTube has not cut me off. All you had to do was refresh because the name, the title changed on YouTube. Uh, so they're still on there. So again, again, who rules America? Who rules America? The corporations, the military industrial complex is the corporations. Those are the corporations that fund these old generals huh, that think they know best. This fourth unelected government. And like I was telling you in 2018, they are a well-oiled machine. A machine that you have never seen before. A machine that has every cog in place. Every little thing in place. And guess what? You and I are the freaking wrench that just wrecked it. And all you have to do is say, nope, fake news. Call them out like it is. Fake news, fake news, fake news. And here, these people break it down to you just how powerful they are. Um, you've got less coverage of, of what's going on. And I think this is particularly concerning uh, more around kind of state-based and, and local politics, um, where there's even less coverage of, of what's going on in politics. But even as the world is known for its diversity, American media is not. Editorially and ideologically, the power elite tends to reflect the views of the government and the people who shape its views. Dissenting politicians like Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr. have a hard time getting their views heard. Who owns the media? How the media is translated? Some of the moguls and the titans of media and industry are part of the problem. They shape a narrative for the American people, a narrative that ultimately leads millions of people to vote for candidates based upon the narrative that they shape based upon the talking heads that they control. And those Americans tend to vote and tend to engage the system on the basis of that which they hear. Media is a significant part of this problem. Historian Eric Foner agrees. He says it's not just political bias at work, but what the media as a business feels it's forced to focus on to attract ratings and revenues. Somehow that idea of, of power, uh, behind the people in office uh, is not really in our media very much. It's not really in people's minds very much. They personalize politics. There are personalities combating each other, but they don't look at who's behind the scenes. Well, you, you're quite right that uh, the media focuses on personalities, you know, and, and, and often the quirks of personality, Clinton's uh, sexual escapades, or whether Obama was born in the United States or not, or Romney and his uh, cars and whatever, you know, his not paying taxes and many other things. Those are not totally unimportant issues, but maybe it's the nature of the media today in and of itself in that it, it you know it has to go for the quick news deep investigative reporting is not emphasized as much as perhaps it was in the past and um you know you got to sell papers and scandal sells papers um personality sells papers celebrity sells papers so uh you're right that the you know the the larger nature of how the system operates tends not to get emphasized as much. It's not even understood by many people. Well, it's hard to understand. This is a very large country, over 300 million people, a very, very complicated economy and political system. So it's, it's difficult to understand exactly how things operate. But I think 
But but I think, you know, in a certain sense, the anti-government sentiment, which is rife in this country, which is generally associated with the right wing, is also a response to the feeling. It's an inchoate feeling. It's not an analytical feeling, but it's a feeling that government is aloof. It is not responsive. It does not really represent the people. It represents some very particular interests. And that sense is pretty widespread in this country. Media watch groups are also concerned about the lack of diversity within the media that makes it unrepresentative of the country it serves in racial, ethnic, and gender terms. The unwritten uh, credo of the New York Times is do not uh, alienate those for whom we depend uh, on for money and access. Chris Hedges was an award-winning journalist for the New York Times, an American media star. And that means the power elite uh, and the financiers who advertise. Uh, so, uh, but but it's it's expandable. I mean, you have you have at least in the positions that I was in the possibility. Uh, to do journalism, not that there aren't, you know, restrictions or constrictions, there are, um, and, and not that they can't be punishing. Hedges' work is still very respected, but he believes that much of the press is ultimately a charade that covers up for power more than covers it, especially when reporting on elections. Because the political theater, I mean, the, the personal narrative of the candidate, it's all irrelevant. It, it, it's meaningless. Uh, and, and, and people, we, you know, we still play the game. Look, every uh, totalitarian country I covered had elections. They all play the charade. I mean, even East Germany did. Uh, and, uh, and that's the charade we play. And, when and that's the charade we play. This is what you're seeing. Theater. This is what you're seeing. Theater, you guys. This is pure theater. There is no actual election. It's a charade. I've said this. It's a charade, a complete charade, complete charade. I've said that we have not had an actual election since JFK. And I meant it. And the only reason that they let that go is because they believe that they had a stronghold on JFK. But what he tried to do was get in and destroy them from within, but it didn't work. And here you have let these people into your homes to destroy you from within, you from within. That is what is happening. This is a charade. And what are charades? Acting roles. This is one of the biggest movies you've taken a part in and you had no idea that you were part of that movie. Not at all. You had no idea that you were part of that movie. That's the thing. You had no idea. That's what sucks. Now, my feed was cut on YouTube, so I discontinued it. Uh, so I'm on Facebook, DLive, Periscope, and Twitch. I don't know why. Um, I'll have to go back and check. Uh, so I just thought I'd let you know. So they were doing some funny business there. Uh, <laughs> but I guess the power of the media isn't something they want you to know about. Because this is who's calling the election, remember? We, we talked about it. There's not going to be an election. The media is going to tell you who won. And this is exactly what they are doing because we knew they were going to do it. When we have a compliant corporate media that pretends that that charade is real. Um, so I think uh, the problem is that the illusion still remains so powerful. Uh, but people are changing, but the illusion is still so powerful that people confuse where power actually exists. 
How does the New York Times cover the power centers that many people say rule America? Chris Spanos edits the New York Times Examiner that monitors the newspaper's content every day. He believes the paper has become an accomplice to the power elite. The New York Times as an institution is almost like a mini nation and, and, the, and the correspondents, the, the op-ed writers, the editors, they're almost like diplomats and how they, they, they carry themselves and their own self-importance and in, in the way that they communicate with other politicians and, and diplomats and they are very influential. You say that they're a disseminator of ideology in America, not just of information. Absolutely. They're, they're, they disseminate a very particular ideology and that their readership is primarily uh, managers um, and, and people who make around over $90,000 a year. And, and so they cater to a managerial perspective. And, and so they, they have a pro-management when, when they're discussing labor relations. They often have a pro-management view, a pro-business view. Financial journalists like Stacey Herbert and Max Kaiser found that many pro-business views in some media outlets were often uninformed, as they told me on a radio show. From December 2008, so well after the collapse of Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, the market's tumbling a thousand points in a day, and the head of BBC World News Business said, and we had a 10-episode contract, do you think the financial crisis will last all the way through these 10 episodes? So in other words, the people actually in charge of planning the coverage are, are, are very uninformed themselves. Well, the, the mainstream media are themselves deeply in debt. You know, the, the news organizations have become entertainified and, and to compete, they take on enormous amounts of debt. So the bankers, they don't want to, uh, to, to, to insult their creditors uh, because they might cut off their lines of credit. So they don't have, they're not unbiased in this regard in, in any stretch of the imagination. You see this most spectacularly with the New York Times. They, their, their coverage of the Wall Street is, is pitiful. To my world. One reason the press is so pro-business is that they are themselves businesses. The people who run media companies increasingly pay themselves huge salaries and bonuses the same way that bankers do, says Barry Dyke. Uh, yeah, Les Moonves, I couldn't believe it. he made uh, 59 million in 2009 and he racked up, it, it was just disclosed the other day that he made close to 70 million in uh, 2010. And that's the head of CBS. That's the head of CBS. But you're saying that all of them are, are really running their businesses as if they were banks. I mean, that's pretty good. That's banker pay. I mean, $70 million is a lot of money in anyone's book and that's what they're getting paid. So the, the, the media companies are really part of this whole system of who rules America. They're, they're part of these interconnecting, interlocking relationships with financial institutions. There's no question about, there's no question about it. You get the, the media companies, which are huge. It's part of the empire. You get the media companies. You get the bankers, of course. You have the, your, your massive you know, uh, unions, okay? You have um, uh, other uh, factors as well. But those are, the media is definitely part of it, and the asset managers. That's exactly it. The corporations that own the U.S. media and own U.S. television are very wealthy and very powerful. And the people at the top of the news networks get paid an awful lot of money. I have never earned anything close to the amount of money I earned in the one year I worked where General Electric was my boss at MSNBC. So what I think happens is a self-censorship where 
the people who did you hear that i've never made so much money as i did in you know when he was on tv when general electric was his boss get the media is obsolete. The media is obsolete. Do you see it? Interest-driven. You know, because I had some troll tell me, you're just jealous because, you know, uh. And it's like, no, man, I don't care if you say that your station is not corrupt. I don't care if you tell me that your station is a news station and we are American news. You have assets there. Okay. And you have interests. Therefore, I don't trust you to deliver me impartial news. Regardless if that interest is coming from someone I support, that means diddly squat. Because when that someone that I support leaves, you're going to prop up Ted Cruz, for example. And I don't want Ted Cruz. So I want news. I don't care if it's bad or good for the person I support. I need news. We need transparency. Where are these people telling you about, you know, real players in this? Real players. Real players. Real players. Like, um, for example, Alexander Dugan, no one's talking about him, but I had mentioned him in a show and I told you that he'd be important only because when the time comes that Erdogan is taken out, Putin leaves, this guy is the one causing all the commotion. And I said this not because, oh yeah, you know, future, future. It's because look who's not talking about it is what you need to think about. Look who's not talking about it. That is what's important. So big companies, remember George Soros, for example, I wrote that article. The minute we make him an enemy of the state, the majority of this crap stops. He owns L3 Communications, portion of the company, L3 Communications. That is a government contracting company with our intelligence community. How the fuck are we using that company overseas in war zones, in, 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 in areas of interest, in D.C., in Langley, in Virginia? Virginia, when we know that Soros owns part of it. Soros owns Target. Soros owns Auto Mall. Soros owns, 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 owns. Okay, so all of these places have interests. They're not yours. They're definitely not yours. And then those companies, listen to how this works. So say Target runs an ad on NBC. Soros has part of Target. That money that he pays in Target pays the media company to run that ad. So instead of charging, I don't know, $5,000 for like 10 seconds, uh, you know, they have like this astronomical amount, like quarter million dollars for every second. Soros is going to pay that as long as they push the messages he says. Or else he says, I'll pull your funding. I'll tell you, I'll tell you on a smaller scale so you understand. So, um... I was talking uh, with a few people that were running for offices, local offices, right, uh, within the state of North Dakota uh, two years ago. And I said, you know, you need to get out. You need grassroots. Nah, nah, nah. And they're like, no, we can't do anything. If Odney, which is the advertising company here, doesn't get the go ahead from the swamp, from the good old boys, no one will advertise us. Newspapers won't put ads. TV stations won't put ads. Guys, they were right on point. If you're not swamp approved, they will not thump you. 
And and this is how they were able to recall a mayor in Bismarck and, um, uh, you know, uh, elect someone that they wanted, which was grassroots. It was from the Internet. What do they call it? An Internet troll farm. I don't look like a troll kid and neither do my friends. But, you know, you use what you have in order to put your uh, interests forward. They will suffocate you and choke your message. How did Comey state it? We've weaved a fabric of social whatever. No, that fabric is there to choke you. That's what it's there for. Because they own everything. They own every single thing. I mean, you know, there are so many. Someone said Epic Times. You know they're Chinese, right? You do know that they're owned by Chinese, right? These are things, and a lot of people are like, yeah, well, he's Chinese, and he's, I don't care. Where did the money originate from? There I am. I sit there, and that's me. I'm, you're independent. I love you. I don't even care if I don't agree with the message. I don't care. You could be as left-wing, crazy dildo-waving as you are. If you're independent and you're supported by fellow dildo-wavers, more power to you. That is how America works. The minute you tell me, I've got, boom, look at all these sponsors I have. That's where I say no. Actually, I want to do a shameless plug for someone. So someone sent me something called Wise Remedies. Um, it's um, a website, wise-remedies.com. So I got this a couple days ago as I was like writing my cards. And um, the listener sent me something called, um, uh, what was it called? Armor. And it's like these drops that you use. I'm going to say something and I, and I, it, okay, it'd be like really early days. You know how we girls get excited about stuff. Oh my God. It's like, I just took this diet pill and I like totally lost an inch, right? This isn't a diet pill. I can say that this made me feel better. Um, maybe it's because, and, and, and I'm at an angry side and this is just me saying it. Okay. Um, I'm at an angry point because I'm not angry. Um, I'm not angry with the media. They're doing their job, the mainstream media and the right-wing pundits. I'm more angry that not enough people are awake. There we go. But anyway, I just wanted to say it's called Wise-Remedies. It was so good. I mean, I just took it and I was like, whatever, let me try it. And it's from Santa Monica. It's really good. I just thought I'd let you guys know that. And that's my personal opinion. I'm not getting paid placement and I'm not like thumping it because, you know. Um, but... Um, it's actually pretty good. This is like super small business, I guess. Um, but it was good. So I, I just wanted to say, speaking of advertising, I, I thought I should mention it. Kind of like how I how I prefer Wendy's fries over McDonald's fries, even though both of them are fake potatoes. Um, <laughs> so that's the kind of fries that I had um, yesterday with um, that friend of mine that I was talking about. Okay, so... Um, Moving along on interests. See, this is my interest, so I'm just expressing it to you, my interest. Um, interests drive the narratives. So you have to think to yourself, think carefully. Who is losing with President Trump in office? Now think. From what you're seeing now and what you're going to see, what, if, what, is, what, is, what are all these interviews mashed up together telling you? They're telling you that the bankers are the ones that run everything. They're telling you it's the money, right? Yes? Money, 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 money. Now, what is it that the president did 
He actually made the Federal Reserve part of the Treasury in a really sneaky way. So think, why is it that the media and everybody, the, the celebrities, the media, I mean, the CEO of Walmart said Biden's policies are no good for business, um, and he mentioned it by telling, that was his signal to other people, like, calm down on the whole Biden thing, because this isn't going to work out well for us. Um, but think, the media is in debt. They told you that seven years ago, and they're constantly in debt. They pay themselves enormous amount of money, and through advertising, they launder money. You think just writing books launders money? <laughs> Wait till you get to advertising. I mean, let's let's put it this way: if um, if uh, the person uh, this uh, wise remedies was to go to CNN and say I'd like an advertisement, they'd give them a thing. Oh, you're going to pay five thousand dollars for every second, and that's what everybody gets. And you who makes you know who makes sweaters, hats, t-shirts, like that Tory says shirt was so hot. Like, I'm like, I want one. Um, so you you all pay that much money, 5000 a minute or a second. But then when George Soros comes, he has to pay $5 million per second because that's how they launder the money, and that's the contract that they have with them. This is how they get paid for positioning the way it goes. This is the way... They position themselves. So that is key. This is how they position themselves. It is all interest-driven. I told you the media was going to call the elections for us. I told you there wasn't going to be any ballot counting. They're just going to call it. And lo and behold. And I also told you, you're going to be totally shocked if you're not listening to the words that I'm telling you on who's going to flip. But you shouldn't be. Because... This has been a known issue. So let's continue with this fabulous Rise compilation. to the top have learned how not to rock any boats. And they know if they do rock boats, they will lose their huge salaries. Newspapers like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal tend to frame a deeper narrative that tells us what we should believe matters. They set the agenda that influences what TV news programs also cover. For example, they don't focus on inequality and class differences, says independent media executive Brian Droulet. They don't talk about the working class. And part of it is, it's like the, the, the idea that, you know, they promote this idea that, you know, if you buy a lottery ticket, you could win, right? So you're already thinking that maybe you could win. So if you're in the, if you're in the working class or you're part of the working class that's unemployed, um, you still have this hope that somehow you're going to go into the middle class. There's been very little attention paid to class. I mean, you were saying that the media really doesn't discuss this. They don't really uh, highlight class differences in America. They're much more comfortable talking about racial differences or ethnic differences. At the same time, in their business practices, they're very conscious of demographics. What class are they attracting? Upper class, how to cater their advertising, how to sell it. No, they go, I mean, you know, the internet is a perfect example of that you know, everything where they're constantly slicing and dicing who you are so they know exactly how much you make so they can pitch what kind of products to you. But that's that's this whole sort of madness of the consumer society that's been created by modern capitalism. But the, the key thing I think that you're getting at is, is that even though there is a reality of class, a working class in this country and a ruling class or a bourgeois class, 
people have been trained not to think in those terms, so they don't even know who they are. Some networks, like Fox News, owned by Rupert Murdoch, seem to be more comfortable presenting a right-wing political line. They have helped shift many media outlets to the right. There is a school of thought that says we should have given the citizens of Baghdad 48 hours to get out of Dodge and flatten the place. Then the war would be already over, and we could have done that in two days. That may be so. But old media is being eclipsed by the new, says George Scribner, the vice president of Digitas, a company that comes up with digital strategies for big companies and studies how affluent consumers now drive marketing in an era of growing economic inequality. The one thing that's different now is that the media is owned by everyone. You know, there's there the only th the thing that's kind of leveling off the dollars to some extent is that. Everyone has access to Twitter. Everyone has access to blogging. And there's this new kind of fast and fluid coalition building. Like Occupy Wall Street, what Street was one example of that. Uh, the Arab Spring was an example of that. So in some ways, kind of the, the, there's the check, there's a new check and balance. I don't think that's necessarily changing the restructuring of income and wealth. But I do think there's another trip switch. That, that might help us when things get too bad. So the digital media, in a yes. way, is where democracy exactly. is today. It's not in politics, yes. it's not in big business, it's not in big money. That's true, I think that's well said. There is some debate on how free the internet really is, given corporate control and government censorship, but it does make possible more interactivity. At the same time, media attention still tends to revolve around a political elite with authority, even if that elite doesn't necessarily have the power to shape priorities or impose policies. But when you talk to ordinary Americans, many of them feel it's totally fair. Yeah. They're seeing different points of view. They're seeing people who are critical from time to time. They're, you know, they see the media as the liberal media in some instances. I, I was in the Soviet Union, and it was we were always raised in this country that that's pure propaganda. And frankly, it was very ineffective propaganda because they never pretended to have two points of view. They would have some one point of view saying how great things are. But in our country, propaganda is really effective because they have the appearance of debates. The United States of America will not permit the world's most dangerous regimes to threaten us with the war. Cohn says that just as Americans were misled about Iraq before the war, they are being misled today about Iran. He pointed to a study about Iraq before the American invasion that found that of some 393 people who were interviewed on all the networks, only three were anti-war. Because almost okay, so here we have them pretty much telling you what what we've been talking about. They have been giving you the illusion that there are two sides, and I've I pointed that out just like Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. They tell you you can't be Blue Lives Matter if you support Black Lives, and you can't be Black Lives Matter if you support Blue Lives. See, they tell you you can only pick one of the two. Now, fuck that. You can pick whatever you want. You are the one that can sit in the middle. You can sit in the middle because pan metron ariston, which means everything in moderation is the perfect balance. That is what we need. And I've said it before, and I was really glad that the president once had said it, that he's a centrist. I'm a centrist. You know, um, I am a very, I am very uh, in the middle. I like to see both sides of it. And as long as there's no bipartisan, what do you mean by? Can it be tri, quad, penta? No. 
It should be, I'm open to everything, man. Let's see it. I'm I'm pan-partisanship, right? Everything. Let's look at everything. So we know that fossil fuels are going to be exhausted at some point. There's years. I mean, like I told you, they got 33 years left in, in Saudi Arabia, and they've got 300 years left in Venezuela. So in 300 years, we will have no oil. And in 30 years, when Saudi goes dry, we're going to be pumping more from Venezuela, which will mean less years of pumping. So we know that fossil fuels are going. Our technology is growing. So while we're using fossil fuels, we can research other ways because we're going to freaking run out of it. Okay, so let's research. But that doesn't mean we pull the plug, start investing billions and billions of dollars to make everything gas related obsolete. You can't just flip a switch. This is a society. So there's two sides to it. Uh, global warming, you're not going to convince me. You're not going to convince me. I don't care what anybody says. You're not going to, they tried to convince us with hairspray that the ozone layer had a hole in it and everyone was going to die and get skin cancer and they were going to get burned to a crisp. 15 years later, it healed itself. The only reason we had a hole in the ozone layer was because of volcanoes. The minute you see that, you're just like, well, wait a minute. Then they forced everyone to do that pump hairspray and we can't have aerosols. Why did they want to take away aerosols? Oh, because they were expensive and the pump ones are a lot cheaper. So they tell you this is better for the environment. So do it. It's all about money. This green thing, all about money. Climate change, a freaking hoax. There's oodles and oodles and oodles and oodles of research where you can see that we're actually below the level of carbon we should have. Below where we should be on the circadian rhythms of the planet, according to the data that they fed you. But if you actually pull ice cores, which they have, which they have, <laughs> it tells you how much carbon was in the atmosphere, when, how many millions of years ago, when, everything. So why are they hoaxing us? Money, 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 money. And they put you in a box. Money, 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 money. You know, Kind of like in New York, how they're like, we're going to make these green, you know, um, uh, what, what was it? How did they say it? How did they say it, you guys? Uh, they were going to be um, uh, uh, eco-friendly. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to make them take their crap and compost it. Uh, they're not going to have flushable toilets. It's going to be cheaper to have that. So the projects are going to be revamped. And for the first year, it's going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm like a super granola muncher. I should get the matching Birkenstocks. And then they're just like, oh, my gosh, um, I don't have heat the way I want it. Oh, dear. After 8 p.m., if the solar panels go bad or if we have bad weather, I can't watch TV. Oh, no. My house stinks because I forgot to take the compost out. Um, oh no, what do you mean? No running water. Oh, running water. You're spreading water. So your house is allocated this much water and you get to hand pump it, or we'll give you an electric pump to make it easy. But once you run out, it means that you're not conserving. And since the state is paying tough noogies, you see where I'm going with this? This is how they're going to start it. This is it. Soon you're going to be finding people, and someone even said it, a litter box. You're going to be having litter boxes because you don't have, <laughs> because you went over what you're allowed to, kind of like in California, you had to choose. Do I wash the dishes or do I take a shower? Do I put on some laundry or do I take a shower? You see, this is where it's going to full-blown control in every facet of your life, from how you live, where you live, what you say, how you say it, what you learn, what you know, and what you can do. They have penetrated everything. And here they are 
These are former journalists. This is a great compilation telling you what they're doing. This is why. How can you not fathom that the media who is going dead broke? You believe Murdoch? Man, I have pictures from a 1990 article where he's sitting there kicking it with Bronfman. You know, the guy's daughter who was arrested in New York and found guilty of that sex slave cult. <laughs> These people are sick and they will stop at nothing to control you. Nothing. Almost everything we knew about Iraq before the invasion turned out to be false. And almost everything we're learning today about Iran is uh, not accurate. And we, you know, we went to the New York Times a couple months ago where they said that the International Atomic Energy Association has put out an assessment that the nuclear program in Iran has a military objective. And the FAIR, this media criticism group, went to the Times and said, which report is that? We've never heard of it. The Times knew they'd made a big error. It was a prominent error. They removed the sentence from their website, but they refused to correct the error. It's not just wars that get propagandized. Media does not often cover the people behind the scenes who run things, says William Hartung, who were written about the military-industrial complex. You would think there would be some independence in the journalism on this issue. But in some cases, reporters have even said to me, well, you know, I can't go after the Pentagon harder or the companies harder uh, or this nexus of influence harder because uh, this company is a big advertiser in the paper. And we'll get pressure, you know, if we do those kinds of stories. So we'll do stories about the war in Afghanistan. We'll repeat what the president has to say on an issue. But there's not really a lot of interest or resources put into investigating these kinds of connections. David Monson, who also writes about military policy, agrees. Well, the corporate media in the United States is integrated with the military-industrial complex. Some of the same corporations are making profits from both. Uh, there are two major political parties that don't have much disagreement on this topic, so it's not a topic for debate. Uh, no matter if 90% of the public is upset about it, it's not acceptable news. Michael Clare, who's investigated the destructive power of oil and gas companies, says the same is true when it comes to that industry. The media doesn't cover this for the most part. In fact, the media is largely in league because of the advertising dollars that the oil and gas lobby provides. They're very heavily dependent on advertising revenue, so they're very careful in what they say. Big business, a wealthy and frequent advertiser in media, is often not scrutinized by the media. That was the case in the financial crisis, says Sheila Crumholz of the Center for Responsive Politics. So these are complicated issues. The issues are, are, are difficult to understand on a good day. And they seem, again, very arcane and and unimportant to the average American. Uh, so it's possible that, that some media were... Uh, uh, laboring away, trying to explain why this was uh, critical information that the voters need. I think a lot of uh, blame, though, can be laid at the, at the feet of the media for the financial collapse. Ultimately, what we do know is that it's critical. If, if, there, if there's any uh, perfect uh, scenario that shows why transparency and paying attention and scrutinizing the, the powerful players and what they want and what they're doing to get, uh, get their way, uh, the financial crisis is is that perfect example. It shows us how important transparency is. Because significant wealth demands significant attention. Together we can give you and your wealth the wings to soar.
Goldman Sachs Wealth Management. At the same time, media has become so pervasive online and off on TV and on our mobile phones that many Americans say they are becoming victims of information overload. The more they watch, the less they know. For sure, information overload is, I think, a, a, a serious threat uh, to democracy because it doesn't work if people aren't vigilant. Uh, nobody's going to uh, hold uh, uh, members of Congress accountable for you. You have to uh, take. Uh, you have to make sure that you're heard. Uh, I think there's also the the sense that because there is this tension, and some would say healthy tension. Uh, between uh, concern about uh, protecting the process, democracy and government from money's undue influence versus protecting freedom of speech and privacy. Uh, nobody wants to uh, censor information. We want our representatives to have all the information, even if it's coming from deep-pocketed corporations, unions, or trade associations, very narrow interests. We just want to make sure that they are doing their job to seek alternative perspectives, even if they're coming from groups that have no power and have no money. Media criticism tends to revolve around what's being covered and not covered, and not on the way media narratives shape how we think and what we think about. That's the power of media and why it is now among the forces ruling America. And they have been ruling us for a very, very long time because we have let them do that. We have let them do it. You see it? That's it. They have decided that they are taking control and that's what's up. So now we're going to go on a short break. Let's get that coffee refilled and listen to some, a nice cover. I think um, Talk About Revolution by Tracy Chapman. Pretty good cover. Don't you know they're talking about the revolution sounds and whispers? Don't you know they're talking about the revolution sounds and whispers while they're standing in welfare lines? Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unplumbed lines Sitting around, waiting for promotion Don't you know, they're talking about the revolution Sounds like whisper Poor people gonna rise up and get their share Poor people gonna rise up and take what's theirs. You know you better run, 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 run. I said you better run, 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 run. It's finally the tables starting to turn. Talking about the revolution It's finally the tables are starting to turn Talking about the revolution No, no Talking about the revolution No, no 
Understanding welfare lies Crying at the doors of Sultan's armies of salvation Wasting time in the unplumbed lines Sitting around waiting for promotion Don't you know they're talking about the revolution sounds don't you know they're talking about the revolution sounds Because finally the tables are starting to turn Talk about the revolution It's finally the tables are starting to turn Talking about the revolution No, no Talking about the revolution No, no Talking about a revolution. Oh, no. A revolution. What kind of revolution, though, is the question. Are we going to go to the streets? No, we're not. Because we don't need the streets. We can have a voice without blood spill. We are more civilized now. We have more avenues now. And not only that, guess what? We have a president that listens to us now. He listens to everything we say. He hears us every single day. There is no way that our president doesn't know what is on our mind. The question is, on, many's, on many people's mind, is, well, then why isn't he doing anything? <laughs> He's doing a lot. You're just not seeing it. You just can't see. You don't have those eyes yet. Of course you can see it. Of course you can see that there's a lot going on. Now, uh, an announcement was made um, by Georgia officials that there will be a statewide recount. Um, that was actually something that I reported last night uh, that I saw in a tweet that quickly disappeared, if you remember. Uh, so uh, let's take a listen to what they had to say. It's quite interesting. In Floyd, there's approximately 3,500 Gwinnett as we went through the reconciliation process of what they had already reported versus what they had left to newly scan. And I think that's it. Uh, a couple of things. Lawrence County, the 1,769 votes we had um, yesterday, we were basing those on the absentee ballot differences. And when they looked and did their reconciliation process on it, they discovered that they had accidentally uh, uploaded those into their election day totals. And their totals will not change, but the vote type will change when they make that change today. So outside of that, we don't have any other numbers that we were aware of. But again, I want to remind everybody, we have ballot curing processes through today for absentee ballots, uh, verification uh, process for provisional ballots, and we can still get any military or UACAVA ballots in by close of business today if they were postmarked on Tuesday, Election Day. So there are still an unknowable amount of ballots that will be available to be counted at some point. They are in the hands of the um, uh, elections officials now, other than maybe the military UACAVA ones. And I can assure you that there are teams of 20-somethings around the state who are Republicans and Democrats finding those people with those absentee ballots secure. And they're going through that process in county by county and ones and twos. And just a preemptive question, I know it's gonna come up, are we seeing any widespread fraud? Are we seeing anything that makes us question the outcome of the election? 
we're not seeing widespread irregularities. We're not seeing anything widespread. We're, we are investigating any credible uh, accusation with any real evidence behind it. But let me tell you one thing. When you have a narrow margin, little small things can make a difference. So everything's going to have to be investigated to protect the integrity of vote. Our office intends to do that. And like I said, you get a wide margin, it doesn't matter as much. Narrow margin, it does. We are literally looking at a margin of less than you know a large high school. So we understand that in this state, the county officials are aware of that, our investigators are aware of that. So it's an important thing to protect the integrity of this election from all sides without taking any questions you'll have. Yes, yes. Um, with the margin we have, with the certainty of a recount, are we gonna know who won the presidency of Georgia by the end of November? With the timeline we have laid out, uh, essentially, we, let's go through the timeline again. So we, we should be able to know by the end of November because remember we have a mid-December deadline in order to seat electors. So the one thing that is always going to be unknowable and known is lawsuits that can affect what we have to do. We are rules, a country and a nation of laws. So if the judge tells us to do something a certain way, we're gonna have to do that, let the legal process work its way out. But given the laws we have now, the situation and, and posture that we are in today, Today is the last day to cure all those absentee ballots, uh, get the military and overseas in, and then um, verify the provisions. So that gets you your outer bound of these. Then you have a situation where the counties need to certify their election. So they take that, they give us a bunch of paperwork, they do the reconciliations, they make sure they have everything right. And trust me, these people work very hard at it. Again, they are all very tired, but we work with them very diligently to get that in as fast as we can. Because state certification can come only after we do our risk limiting audit. And that is going to be the first time the state's doing it. It was part of HB 316, Secretary Raffensperger's election reform law. So that happens. And then we're going to have the state certification. Now, the outward bound of that is November 20th. Our hope and intent working with the counties is to move that earlier. And at that point, whomever comes in second, whether it be President Trump or Vice President Biden, Either one of them, who's ever in second place, can request that recount if it's within half a percent. But you can't do a recount until after the audit and after the certification. With the most interpretations of the law right now, you cannot do it. A recount cannot be requested until the election is certified. And that would take about five days. Yes. We, we have no way of knowing right now. Uh, we've never done a statewide recount with a brand new system. So we are hoping that it'll be a week, but we have no way of actually knowing that at this point. The president's team. Did you hear what he said? Um, that an official recount can't happen until they're done counting. Did you hear that? Because that's important. We have 159 election directors, thousands of poll workers, election workers, um, hundreds of volunteers on adjudication panels. They are all in there, as the secretary noted. This is a public process. You can watch everything that's happening. They have paperwork, there's certifications, there's reconciliations, there's paperwork on top of paperwork in many cases. So we know how many ballots there are. One of the things we know from the from Wednesday night on, we knew the basic amount of ballots that were there. Um, with the slight moving target of the, of the military coming in, the um, uh, absentee ballots being cured, and the potential provisions, because those are all essentially unknowable at the end of the night on Tuesday. People ask the question, why can't you know exactly how many you have? 
because it's impossible because there's, the law allows for these things to be done to protect the ballots of those who really want to make sure get the vote. So in general, and specifically, this office has worked very hard through the reforms in HB 316, um, which also allow for notifications to be immediately sent out for ballots that are received towards the end of the process that need to be cured. Um, people talk about it's a three-day cure pro uh, process on this, and that, that's not the case. What it is, if you send your ballot early, you can have a month-long cure process and it comes in that way. That's why I was all encouraging people to do that as early as they possibly could. But our office and the county have many, many safeguards, many, many guardrails built up over many years to ensure the integrity of the vote. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about an ongoing investigation at this time, um, but harvesting votes for a recount would be difficult because you already have the outward edge of what the recount already showed, or the original county showed. Yes, sir. I'm not going to try to get into the president's actual mindset on that because there are there are Republicans who are involved, there are Democrats involved at different levels of the shared service delivery model. There are Republican election directors, there are Democrat election directors. Obviously, Secretary Rappaport is a Republican. I'm a Republican. I don't make any bones about anybody who knows me. And suddenly, had a lot of people look at my Twitter feed and my LinkedIn. It's pretty obvious. So, in general, we have people who have partisan beliefs. But the job of elections directors in this office is to count every legal vote, follow the law, and ensure that every legal vote is counted, and that we will and attend to the voters. Do you yes. think that in the curing process and the absence from military, is that going to be enough to make a difference? We have no way of knowing. It possibly could. The one thing people ask me is 8,900 potential military ballots coming in. They ask me how many. Because I, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. It will be more than zero, it will be less than 8,900. Yes. Do you know that those ballots are coming in and used today? Or is there uncertainty? As I said, we can't because they're in the post office. It's, it's like okay. I said, there'll be more than zero and less than 8,900. Yes. Have there been any challenges um, at by any uh, watch, uh, anyone watching the, the counts? Have there been any challenges to any of the votes? Um, I'm not aware of any at this time. Yes. Um, here's the situation. The risk limiting audit has to be done before there gets a recount anyway, so no, that shouldn't really have an effect on that. And to clear up one thing, I want to make sure everybody understands. The law in Georgia is that the candidates must be within a half a percent of each other in order to have a recount. So I, I'm hearing speculation potentially about a, a recount in the United States Senate race involving um, uh, Mr. Ossoff and Senator Purdue. Uh, that margin is so wide for the available ballots out right now, there's no way the two of them could probably get to the half of one each. Potentially they could, but it's very unlikely. So it would probably only be for president. You're going to let me get into my fun geek time now to go over the SCB rules that we outlined when we passed this law. Um, this is going to work. As I mentioned to you all uh, yesterday, the secretary directed that we procure in the original procurement. Uh, the high-speed ICCs, which are the high-capacity, high-speed scanners, will be used in the central offices for this recount. Now, how we're going to do that is we're going to take a deck of ballots. We're going to have this hand-counted going by what is written on the, the human-readable portion of that, the readable portion of that. We'll tally those, and we'll get a count, write it down. We'll then run those through the scanners, and 
They auto match. Once we validate that, that standard standing properly, we will then be scanning every single ballot again on the central standards. Like I said, we're making estimates of time. We don't know. Um, like I said, I hope, I'm hoping there's some time in our election to get some sleep because you know it's, it's going to be a high stress thing to get more eyes and older upon them. That's the essential outline of how it works. There's other details of how you, how you handle it. That's the basis. We are aware that there's a couple of places we've heard about the things that are happening. We don't know exactly why yet. It could be a simple thing is on the poll pad searches, first name, last name, and date of birth. So they could have been looking at the wrong person, not realizing it immediately. And like I said, the poll worker is human. Um, so, and and human beings are involved in this level, so there can be errors in this. We are obviously looking at the Yesterday you told us there were, again? Again, yes, sir. Uh, yesterday you told us there were 3,900 provisional ballots in Fulton County. Do you have the breakdown of provisional ballots in any other counties in the state? I do not right now. We're trying to get that, but again, we're trying to leave the elections officials and directors to their actual accounts. Yes. Okay, so he talked about the provisional ballots. Remember I told you about the provisional ballots? So the provisional ballots are the ones that you may not be allowed to vote in this county because you're not registered or you didn't have appropriate identification and we need more identification. Uh, so what they do is they put them in these yellow folders and they go to the Board of Elections and they decide if your vote counts uh, or not. Uh, so that could be, um, you know, someone in the military, maybe that just arrived to Fort Gordon. I'm just saying, right. Or something like that. And, <laughs> and, uh, they had to get a provisional ballot because, uh, they needed to, um, they, they didn't have the ID or all they had was military ID and, um, they didn't have, uh, a, a utility bill and they can get that later because then what happens is the board of elections, when they get it, they reach out to you if they need more. Or if they can't find you, if they can't see that you have a water bill, garbage, something, and they decide if they want to count your vote. Uh, so, so that's how it goes. So the provisional ballots are a big deal. 3,000 in one area, that's a, that's a pretty big number regardless. That means you allowed 3,000 people to drop a ballot that normally should not be allowed to drop a ballot. I mean, I was there poll watching and they were like, well, you're not allowed to vote here. You're registered in that county. So we suggest you go there. But if you want to drop a vote here, it may not be counted um, because it'll have to go off and they decide. So it's kind of void and people still vote because they just want to say they voted. And that was that was uh, quite telling that he only had for that one county, but not the others. And he's, you know, you can hear him puckering. And this is what you do when you've caught them red-handed. Oh, you know, there's human errors. Yeah, you mean the people that were arrested? That's the human error? Hmm. You don't want to tell people that they were arrested, right? <laughs> Well, here, here's the reality. I think the ones the ballots like I hear today will probably be done today, tonight. But remember, close of business means there's steps coming in and close of business. So we don't know the volume of those. We don't know where they're going to be. There, somebody could have left the other could be exhausted and have to get the mail, you know, after that. So there's no way of knowing exactly. I anticipate we should get closer to final, final um, on Saturday. Um, keep going through with it. 
their damage styles so they can copy and reconcile properly, copy and duplicate it properly, and scan. So it'll be probably sleeping. And normally, it wouldn't matter if the, if the difference wasn't 1,000 votes. Yes, sir. Has the president or vice president contacted your office, and what was that conversation? No, so no conversation. You, you mentioned, uh, we're hearing a lot about county and county boundaries. Is this a county problem, or is this simply a matter of large and There's two things in here. I know many people seem to forget we were still in the middle of a pandemic during a lot of this. So Georgia historically has about 5% absentees, this time it's like close to a third. And that's um, about 1.25 million ballots that we're having to count. So they've never had to handle the volume of paper before. And they're going to handle the volume of paper and the handling and all of the ballot custody rules around those things. There's extra things we never had to deal with before. I think we're going to teach this. This is I survived the 2020 election. We have a pandemic, emerging elections, hurricane, and then recounts. So that's what we are planning. It's a mainly question of volume. Again, we can't know what's happening in all of Hexagon counties. I mean, the only state in more counties than us is Texas. So we, we anticipate most of the problem is they could find a couple things with the reconciliations. That's why you have certification to get to that final number. And we're trying to get the counties to certify as fast as they can so we can move to a risk of the audit so that we can certify as fast as we can move to what looks like a, a likely recount called by either one of the second list candidates. How obsolete is the media, you guys? How obsolete are they? I can't stand them. I'm just telling you, I can't stand them because all they do is gaslight the public. They are obsolete. They should, I mean, no one should listen to them. I saw people uh, posting things from the SCOTUS blog. So it's verified. No one gives a shit. They verify people with like 500 following as long as they're the right ones for the message that they want to push. So how are things going in general? Smoothly. What do we need to do? Listen to the president. What else do we need to do? We need to make sure that we can give them something tangible. Not our bodies and not our blood, not our sweat and not our tears, but it might cost us 55 cents, what I have in mind. So um, I will be uh, putting that out uh, later on, uh, on Saturday. So now let's talk about these weird resignations. So if you remember, I had said that Putin may be assassinated or removed a while back, really long time ago. I don't know if you guys remember. I also told you that Erdogan will be taken out. And I believe that Erdogan was going to be going out first. And that's still the case because it's Erdogan that gets assassinated and then Putin. So they don't like Putin. And I'm going to show you who the person is that's, you know, behind it. Who the person is that's behind it. Yep, sounds like a postage stamp. Exactly. And we already have received some cards. I have like a bunch that I'm sending out. Uh, so we can get back into that USPS uh, mode. So we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow. And, you know, all coordinate to do it at the same time. And I'll tell you what we're going to be doing. Um, it's going to be pretty good. Uh, so 
uh, I had told you about Putin and I had told you about um, uh, Erdogan and other leaders. And this is where the change is happening. These are the resistors to the new world order, except for Erdogan. He's, he, they just want him out because he's just way too wild for them. So one thing that occurred that a lot of people are pretty much not discussing is the change of regime, change of regime of Kosovo. So if you remember, President Trump was working with the Serbian Kosovo thing and people were like, it's not a big deal. It's not about peace. He's not doing anything. It's all about trade. Well, Trade leads to relations within nations and trade also causes accountability to fall in people's laps. And ergo, this is why we see that um, that trade deal brought about some really big changes in Kosovo. So war crimes. I told you that we're going to have Nuremberg styles. Wait till you see um, what ours are going to be like. Here is the real news for today that you need to know about. Kosovo's President Hashim Thaci resigned on Thursday after his indictment for war crimes by a tribunal in The Hague was confirmed. Prosecutors hold Thaci responsible for nearly 100 civilian murders during the 1998-1999 war that led to Kosovo's independence from Serbia. Thaci, who was a senior commander of the Kosovo Liberation Army guerrilla group, has denied any wrongdoing. He explained to reporters at a news conference in Pristina why he felt his resignation was necessary. As I have promised, I will not allow under any circumstances that a president of the Republic of Kosovo appears in front of the court. Therefore, in order to protect the integrity of the presidency of the Republic of Kosovo, integrity of the state of Kosovo, integrity and dignity of Kosovo citizens, and respecting the partnership with the international community, I resign today from the position of President of the Republic of Kosovo. The Specialist Chamber was set up in The Hague in 2015 to handle cases of alleged crimes by KLA guerrillas during the uprising. I am ready to face the new challenge. Local efforts to investigate alleged KLA war crimes have so far been met with hostility in the tiny state, where clan loyalties run deep and former rebels are now heroes. So key things to take away from this report is they had him step down so that he doesn't tank the name of the presidency. Remember that, because that's going to come out later. Now, uh, there have been reports that Putin has Parkinson's disease. But um, before we get to that, I'm going to remind you stuff that we talked about that we kind of forget. We always forget. Because when I say the world is on fire and there are changes, boy, are there changes. So the one thing that um, had happened at the beginning of the year, right before coronavirus, is that the whole Russian government resigned. They had resigned. Here's a reminder. 
All smiles to begin with. Dmitry Medvedev taking his seat for the president's State of the Nation address. His face not giving much away as the president outlined a series of constitutional reforms which shift the balance of power in Russia, potentially providing a role for Vladimir Putin when his presidential term expires in 2024. Hours later, this surprise announcement. It is obvious that we, as the government of the Russian Federation, should provide the president of our country with the opportunity to make all the necessary decisions for this. Therefore, the current government of the Russian Federation resigns. The government will stay on for now, but Mr. Putin has already picked a new prime minister the head of the federal tax service, Mikhail Mishustin. He's not a political heavyweight. It's clear who'll be calling the shots. Which is how it was with Medvedev too. Even during the four years when the two men swapped roles, President Medvedev's attempt at liberal reform crushed when Mr. Putin resumed the presidency. He made clear today that he was not angling to stay on as president. The reconfiguration, I think, is aimed at uh, taking away power from the presidency and empower other institutions of um, Russian government management um, uh, so that uh, whatever position Putin means for himself would enable him to be in control, to be the ultimate arbiter of uh, the disputes among the elites and of decision-making in the country. It may be that Mr. Putin engineers himself into the role of prime minister again, having bolstered its power. Other suggestions are that he might head up a beefed-up state council. Either way, it's clear he will not be giving up control. Diana Magnay, Sky News, Moscow. Okay, so all of his government resigned um, on the 15th of January of 2020. Damn, that 2020, right? Popcorn, anyone? So there's more. There is a lot more because what you didn't see behind the scenes is just like we are battling with those that wish to maintain power, so are others. So are others. And here is a Chinese um, report that you need to watch. A Chinese report that, you know, blew my mind when I saw it um, last year in July. And I was thinking, wow, no one's talking about this. Pretty interesting. A short break, and when we come back, we'll be hearing from a leading visionary behind the geographic notion of Eurasia. Why does he believe that China and Russia should work together to build a multipolar world? Stay with us. Taught him Putin's brain. Others have described him as the most dangerous philosopher in the world. Yet the political scientist and philosopher Alexander Dugin says that his native Russia has simply been pursuing a new path to define who the Russians are and where they're going ever since the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. While many ex-Soviet republics have sought closer relations with Europe, Russia envisions a different future. To Dugin, this is the concept of Eurasia as a counterweight to American domination and transforming a unipolar system into a multipolar world. Yet, how does Dugin expect China to work with Russia to counter Western hegemony to create this new Eurasia? How are China and Russia expected to build their relationship to the highest level in history in the meantime? I'm pleased to be joined by Professor Alexander Dugin himself. <laughs> 
Professor Dukin, welcome to The Point. Let me ask you, what do you mean by this idea of a Eurasia? You are one of the very strong uh, proponents of this idea. So explain to us why you think it is important, exactly what it is all about, and what is the role of Russia and China in there? So first of all, uh, Eurasia is, um, is multi-layer. Uh, idea, multi-layer concept. It's not easy to explain that. I have dedicated to that many books in order to explore what is Eurasia. Eurasia, first of all, uh, it is uh, idea that the West uh, should not have hegemony in um, defining the universal standard. So, because West or Europe or the West in general is only part of the humanity and the other part and the majority of the um, human beings um, live uh, outside of the West in Asia. And Russia, in my opinion, is as well the meeting point between the West and the East. And that is, uh, that is our identity, our uh, our um, mission to bring together all, all, all parts of the humanity in order to start the kind of dialogue. So our uh, pro proper Russian identity is not Western. We are, are Eurasianists. But, uh, for example, China uh, or India are Asian uh, countries, Asian civilizations. And that is not uh, uh, the reason to... Uh, underestimate them. Eurasia is an uh, invitation to restore the dignity of all kinds of society, Western and not Western, we put them in the dialogue. Is there a geopolitical boundary of this Eurasia idea? Does it also include Western Europe, for instance? Does it include Southeast Asia or it's European, it's Europe and Asia in total? We could use the term uh, Eurasia in geographic uh, uh, sense in that sense uh, it includes Europe we could uh, speak about Eurasia only as Turanian place as old Turan Turan that is the, the place of uh, Chinggis Khan Empire or mm, traditional Russia that is a narrow uh, understanding or we could include in Eurasia uh, all parts uh, except uh, Western Europe that belongs to the West. But we could use as well the term of Eurasia as we are using the term the West. For example, we are speaking West, uh, Japan is Western country. So Eurasian, to be Eurasian is to, to affirm our identity against Western hegemony. In that sense, we could speak about s some Eurasianism inside of United States of America, in Latin America, in Africa, or uh, uh, elsewhere. So for Eurasia is a um, new concept that challenges uh, the Western hegemony in general, opposing to this exclusivism of the Western culture, inclusivism of uh, this dialogue of the culture. This is the, the, the defense of diversity. Um, it's not new for other civilizations to want to be at least on equal footing with the Western civilization, and yet to have this 
at least Central or Eastern Europe together with parts of Asia as one block, as one identity. This is interesting. What makes you believe that this is going to work, that there is a common identity unifying these two civilizations, if you will? Uh, I think that, uh, for example, um, in, the, in the history, China was the great in, and independent civilization, not only country, civilization united around uh, itself in the Tianxia, 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 Tianxia yeah. uh, concept, the other peoples and cultures. Russia as well was not only uh, ethnic Slav um, country, that was as well civilization. And uh, now uh, these um, two ancient civilization that uh, belongs to, as well as India, but let us speak about Russia and China more uh, first, because uh, we uh, represent these two ancient civilization always struggling to be on the equal, uh, equal relations with the West that was obviously more aggressive, more active, but... All right, so let's talk. So this guy, you need to know his name. He will be coming into the cycle of news um, quite soon, quite soon. So his name, his name is Alexander Dugan. Man, Alexander Dugan. I really wish I had uh, mentioned, I think I mentioned him, but didn't talk a lot about him for various reasons. But we had talked about how Barack Hussein Obama had gone out during 2016 and had all these uh, um, communications with other governments, right, like Canada, like Mexico, talking about the North American Union. And Argentina was supposed to spur off, well, and Brazil, and uh, it was still in the running, uh, they were supposed to put together the South American Union. Well, they are South America, but they needed to be unified, taking half of Central America, well, all of Central America, while Mexico, the U.S., and Canada are another entity. Kind of reminds you of the European Union, doesn't it? So we'd have South American Union, North American Union, Europe, the EU, and the Eurasian Union. And here he is selling the idea how even though Russians and the Chinese don't share a lot of culture together, um, they should unify because they want to be equal footing with the West that is aggressive. Now think of it this way. If they all unified and then they became these, what, one, two, three, four, five governments that are strong – and then six with the African Union, then what? Well, obviously, Australia would have to come in the mix, and I can tell you that they would hang out with the African continent. So they would be part of the six. So it would be a ruling class of six presidents. Six presidents that would then nominate one. And the way they do this is through businesses. This is how they do it, six units. You're going to say, wait a minute, that's not six. Well, the Middle East is one of them, right? But the Middle East, even though it would be independent entity in its creation, it would then be split. Now, many of you might say, well, President Trump has unified the Middle East. Ah, 
He has unified them in trade, uh, not with, you know, with the exchange of sovereignties. Because if there was a unification, then we would have seen what we saw in Europe. And if there was a unification in the agreements that he made, then then we would have seen a trade-off in their governments where they would say, well, we're going to put a representative here and there. That's what the EU did. See, the EU did what many feared uh, President Trump was going to um, push forward. And that is through these commerce deals, sneak in the whole government deals, which did not happen. And this is why the Middle East is happy, that they stay independent, yet they have agreements amongst each other to squash their political ideologies, their old wars, and simply compete for the economy independently. And that is something the president laid out in his UN speech, that every country should be reinforcing its own people to compete on the field of uh, economy, commerce, migration, research and development, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that does not require you to forfeit your sovereignty. He said it. And the Middle East is his proving ground. Now, Putin had been strong-armed to the position where the West is coming at him hard. China saying, hey, we can be friends and we'll unite when he knows that that means China will take over, just like they took over North Korea. Because remember, Soviet Russia was awarded, <laughs> and awarded, yeah, by uh, the UK and uh, the US, North Korea. They gave it to Russia. But in the end, who owned it? That's right, China. So he already knew where it was going, and he was very against this whole new world order. Very against this new world order. This guy, Alexander Dugan, he says so many things, but listen to him because he's coming up to the forefront. So they, he will tell you, oh, I don't believe in liberalism. I don't believe in rightism. I believe in some liberal, you have to listen to him. We have more clips. I need to introduce you to him because it's very important with what's happening right now. While our elections are in turmoil on the global stage, even though we know who won, okay? And we just have to be patient. This guy is rising up. Now, uh, for example, in the bipolar world, Russia uh, and China, but we belong to the socialist camp as well, trying in the modernity to reaffirm our identity and independence. And now we are using this uh, evident crisis and catastrophe of the uh, globalization in liberal way, this, the, this crisis of um, uh, unipolar world and liberalism of the West using we are using now to, in order to restore our dignity and I think that now we have two major factors here the growth uh, of independence of Russia and strategical position of uh, nuclear weapon that is enough to grant to us um, independence and sovereignty and uh, rise huge economic and political and social rise of China. So we have two elements of multipolar world. We, we have two pillars of Eurasia just now. And the only thing uh, that rests 
to understand each other for Russian and uh, uh, Chinese. And that is precisely what is going on between our presidents, between our countries, between our peoples. We are in a moment, the crucial moment, we are living in the crucial moment of this emergency of uh, emergence of uh, Eurasia, of multipolarity and at least two civilizations that are ready now to to uh, defend our uh, independence and our autonomy. I understand this theory is uh, quite well received by the Putin government, by the Russian government, and uh, it, seem, it seems that uh, the, the foreign policy that they're pushing forward is very much in line with that kind of theory that you just outlined. So for the West and for people in the West, what would it mean in a concrete terms that there is a rising Eurasian identity in, to counter the Western identity. I think that uh, we don't, uh, we have nothing against the West. We, uh, we are struggling against Western hegemony. If the West will be the West as such, uh, having its own values, not our, not Russian, neither Russian uh, nor Chinese, but still having Western values that will be okay, and they will find their, their own place in this inclusive, multipolar vision. But the one, on the, uh, the only thing they should sacrifice the pretension, uh, ungrounded pretension of universalism of the Western uh, values. The Western values are local, Western as well as ours. Uh, uh, so we need to, uh, they lose only arrogance. They lose their pretension to rule the other. Uh, they, they lose their uh, suprematism, uh, cultural racism. They, 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 they lose in that, in that multipolarity. But they could find their own identity precisely in our project. And that is why we have uh, today, uh, the West is split and the serious part of the Western power should reaffirm uh, Western identity. We see that in the growth of populism in Europe that challenges this global liberal globalism in the European of European Union. But we see as well that in the waters uh, for Trump, not maybe in Trump himself, but the, uh, the uh, electorate, the waters of Trump's water are much more important than Trump himself because they have voted for. Uh, the, uh, to stop in, uh, interventions, to, to, to uh, concentrate on their own country, and to, to return to them. So for that, uh, in that sense, uh, I think that Trump is Eurasianist in some way, or a European populism that is for Europe, for Europe, for identitarian Europe, they, are, they could be considered. Uh, as well, in large sense, Eurasianist, or, for example, people who want uh, uh, who want to restore uh, the greatness of India and return to the uh, Indian identity, Islamic identity, African identity, Latin America identity. All uh, there is the, the 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 real multipolarity that uh, will. Mm, uh, will give, will make it damage only for uh, maniac of this uh, unipolar uh, hegemony and not uh, to the uh, other civilizations. Russia is a very important part of this Eurasian, basically Russia strats 
the the two continents, right? And China is very important player in the Asian side, and uh, both countries emphasize this diverse the importance of the recognition of difference. But how do these two countries find a balance in this Eurasian identity? Do you, because there seems to be an understanding in some uh, in the eyes of some Western commentators that there is a general nervousness among uh, Russian uh, officials or scholars about the growing influence of the Chinese uh, state. Uh, I, I, I don't uh, say that it's easy to, to solve or create multipolar world. We need to start to to accept the differences. We need to start to to understand each other uh, not only a uh, superficial level uh, and to solve um, many problems or to understand the reason and the uh, sources of some uh, of some fears of some uh, misunderstanding it is not so easy it is not uh, uh, we could not say oh let's uh, russian love chinese let uh, chinese uh, love russian um, it is not enough so we need to 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 understand each other as well with our differences with our fears our um uh, uh, and uh, we we need in order to overcome this to create the balanced and harmonious uh eurasia we need to as well to define the zones of uh, of responsibility so this interview is is key. I'm going to drop it in the chats um, that you should watch the rest of it. Well, it's actually done. Let me finish it. The levels and layers of cooperation. And that is the process. I think that I am very optimistic. Okay, I thought I had the longer version. Why am I showing you this? This is a guy who everyone keeps saying is like, Putin's second mind, he's an intellectual, always says what Putin thinks, etc. Now, he is going to be very important coming soon. And he is very, very dangerous. This is, um, this is something you're going to see. And, you know, what you'll see will shock you. He is behind your right media. He is behind um, what uh, democracy decay uh, is uh, something that um, oh, I have to find the part where he's on. So I want to show you this um, clip from 2015. Yes, that's how far back this guy goes and how far I have been seeing him. So this is called um, Competing Ideologies. It's a show with Steve um, Pakin. Um, hold on. Let me start this for you. It's uh, quite interesting. And this is disgruntled citizenry, um, where he talks with someone that's disgruntled, and it's called clashing visions. This is this is it's a quite um, quite uh, interesting um, interview. But there's more that I'm going to show you from this guy. He constantly has it on. And you, all you have to see is your personas 
Okay, because now we all know that the news is fake and they're obsolete. So what you have to see is the personas that are pushing ideas like this. You're leaving the political party. You're trying to change it. And I do believe from this point of view, vision is clearly important because vision creates identities. And from this point of view, some of the new protest movements which we're talking about were quite weak and creating political identities which are going to survive more than the time that we have been together on the square. All right, vision is one thing, but we also hear a lot talked about these days about greater transparency. Do you think if we had political institutions that were more transparent to their citizens, that would enhance the trust we have in them? Listen, transparency is very important, and this is part of the problem of the accountability that Professor Fukuyama talks about. But I do believe that we are slightly moving in an extreme direction, basically trying to believe that transparency is going to be the solution of all problems. Don't forget that democracy started not with transparency, but with secrecy. It was the secret vote that empowers the people. And I do believe that uh, the very fact that you believe that certain decisions are going to be transparent does not mean that these decisions are going to be fair, that these decisions are going uh, to be good. Uh, and uh, in my view, at least, transparency could be an instrument for politics, but I don't see the transparent as a goal. And from this point of view, I'm not sharing some of this obsession and some of this belief that transparency is the answer to all the questions that we see. Uh, not knowing everything basically does not mean not that we're going to agree on the same thing. So from this point of view, I don't believe that transparency is enough. Okay, what? Alexander Dugan, I welcome you into this conversation now. I wonder if we could start by having you tell us what your perception at the moment is of Western democracies as described by our other two guests. Uh, my vision uh, is much more critical than previous uh, guests um, because I think that we are dealing now not with technical uh, but philosophical or metaphysical problem. So the problem of the crisis of democracy lays uh, as long as I see in the incapacity of the West, of the Western civilization to understand the positive other. Uh, the West is dealing only with negative vision of other. Other or is the same as ourself or is the lesser. So it is based on kind of messianic uh, conception of universalism of uh, Western civilization where we uh, the west has uh, constructed liberal democracy that maybe fits to the western culture western history maybe not it's up to western uh, citizens to judge um, up to uh, which uh, point uh, this is suitable for uh, them but uh, all that is based on the absolutely racist premise uh, about universalism of the Western system of values. So democracy we are dealing with is Western democracy that conceives all humanity to be a kind of imitation of the same or less than uh, Western type. But we are dealing with different cultures, with with different humanities. There is no, not only one humanity, humanity uh, of the type of Western uh, civilization. Well, we have different cultures and different civilizations in plural and different humanities. And democracy should be adapted uh, to the identities 
different identities uh, that should be taken positively and not negatively. So I think now the protest against the West and the feeling of the decay of the Western democracy that I share with Mr. Fukuyama, basing on completely different approach, I think that it is a common uh, common feelings, uh, common sentiments uh, of uh, different cultures and people. But that is a kind of demand of profound, deep decolonization, uh, deep. Devasternization. There are many positive um, aspects in the West, but the one thing that everybody in the world, except maybe the West itself, uh, hates, it is the way of imposing the values as something universal. So I think that th this time it is a kind of lesson uh, to um, uh, to teach to the West, uh, to the Western civilization that there can exist, there can be positive other that shouldn't be judged by uh, the Western patterns and should be acknowledged, acknowledged as something other that doesn't, uh, uh, is the same uh, or, or lesser or worse than uh, the Western culture, but it's simply different. This positive difference, it is demand of deep decolonization and deep devastatization of the people. So we So he's speaking to double speak. He's telling you that uh, you need uh, you know the liberalism, but you don't need the conservatism. And conservatism is good only if you have liberalism. And the way you do this is by enforcing uh certain ideologies. I'm just um, um, making that statement for you to kind of digest it. Now, there have been reports that, um, you know, uh, Putin is resigning uh, because he has, um, what is it, uh, uh, that he has uh, Parkinson's. But before we get there, I'm just going to play three minutes of another interview where they talk about who is Alexander Dugan. It's important that you remember this because you're going to see all those right-wingers, all those so-called conservatives are pushing his ideologies. Putin's name is known, of course, all over the world. The name of Alexander Dugan? Not so much. But to people in the know, Alexander Dugan, a philosopher and Russian public intellectual, matters because he says what Putin thinks. Joining us now for more on the man who has been called Putin's brain, here's Michael Millerman. He is a PhD student in political science who has co-translated Alexander Dugan's fourth political theory. Michael, it's good to have you on TVO for the first time. Welcome. Thanks. Tell us off the top, why do you think it's so important to know who Dugan is to understand why Putin is doing what he's doing? Well, it's very important to know who Dugan is because he's Russia's chief ideological mastermind. So officially, Russia doesn't have an ideology. According to the Russian constitution, they're not allowed to have, a, have an ideology. But as you can see, if you listen to Putin's speeches, see what he's doing, they seem to be acting in line with some real idea about Russia's role in history and Russia's place in the world. And the source for those ideas is really Dugin's theory of Eurasianism. Eurasianism. So that underlies Putin's project of a Eurasian Union. It gives him the 
ideas, the arsenal for understanding Russia as a civilization. And it really informs everything he does that's of interest to the West and not really understood by the West right now. Let me follow up on Eurasianism, because if I understand that, it's, it's an idea that is sort of meant to protect Russia from encroachment of foreign powers and hostile ideas. And I wonder, where, where does this fear of foreign powers and hostile ideas, why is that so ingrained in the Russian psyche? Well, it's, it's really deeply ingrained in the Russian psyche, in this ideology and Putin's view of the world and Dugin's view of the world, that the West has never really made a satisfactory attempt to understand Russia as distinct, as, as distinct and of worth in its own right. So the West has always tried to change Russia into something that it isn't, has always tried to make it more like the West, more liberal, more democratic, more human rights, always assuming that that's the way that it has to be. That's the best way for it to be. And then Putin comes on the stage, as he did just the other day in, in his speech, and he says, we're a, we're a thousand-year-old civilization with our religious traditions and our holy sites and our deep um, civilizational code, and we're not going to let the West dictate to us how we need to interpret our own uh, history or our own present, and certainly not our future. So is Dugan actually opposed to the idea of Western liberal democracy? Dugan is very much opposed to the idea of Western liberal democracy. Um, on one hand, because it tries to export itself as universal to the rest of the world. It tries to, it tries to make everybody like itself, and it does so oftentimes really rather um, violently and not very delicately. And he's also opposed to it on philosophical and religious and, and other grounds as well. So what they're telling you is, oh, he's a total conservative. Actually, he's a total communist, totalitarianist. And he sways because he has, he speaks parcel tongue. Now, I've introduced you to something, uh, to people that are very, very important because they're going to be coming to the forefront very, very soon. Now, as Pelosi and the Democrats celebrate and tell the world, President-elect Biden, da-da-da, Sit there and cringe and just eat your popcorn. Be like that, you know, the, the bug-eyed lady with the popcorn where you're just eating frantically, like stuffing your face. Okay, okay, it's going to be over. It's going to be over. Uh, kind of like for, for, for the fellow ladies out there that have had babies, kind of like a contraction. You know it's going to pass. It's coming. It's going to go. Now, um, there's one person that I love to follow, one person, and that was Thomas Wichter. I don't know how many of you followed him ever. But he actually put a video up, and I want to share it because um, I'm I'm very happy that he put this out. I, I like his videos, and you know sometimes when he wears the colander, <laughs> he's a pastafarian. I want you guys to listen to this carefully. Um, he's always got some really great insight. Take a listen. Um, I made a video earlier about my friend Carlos Osueda getting banned from Twitter um, for posting facts. Uh, I got banned from Twitter, and it was a lot more involved than that. Um, I had uh, a false report made against me, and the FBI was sending it uh, sent to my house, and it was very involved. And uh, luckily, I'm much smarter than the person who sick the FBI on me, and uh, I made that boomerang, and it bit her really hard in her fat bottom. And she'll never do that again. But um, one of the reasons I'm not too keen about going back to social media is that I put 
five years of my life into trying to help Trump supporters understand Trump. And as always, uh, everybody, as far as I can tell, is looking at this the wrong way. And, okay, Trump is distracting y'all uh, with the whole lawfare thing. Going through the courts, well, nobody knows about the CISI, sorry, the CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which Trump created in 2018. This agency was created specifically for the purpose of protecting critical infrastructure and in preparation for the creation of the CISA, uh, the Department of Homeland Security under which the CIAS, CISA is uh, 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 controlled, that doesn't make sense, I don't care, um, the D, uh, DHS determined that voting, all the methods of voting are a critical infrastructure. So um, Trump knew that all of this was going to happen. He warned us and warned us and warned us and warned us. So he's distracting everybody with the court, you know, the, the legal action. Yeah, he's the, the legal action is real, but nobody understands that um, certain people, I can't, I can't name them because then YouTube will ban this video. Uh, they messed with critical infrastructure. So that's a, a national security issue. Um, and they did it, okay, they did it blatantly. Everybody saw what they did. It's all caught on camera. And they also did something really stupid. They relied on paper ballots. Well, honey babies, um, guess how the FBI can tell which printer you used? So, um, it doesn't matter that the states contract out to private contractors to get their ballots printed. Ballots are now a national security issue, paper ballots. So um, uh, there were people who messed with, I don't know, 200 ballots. They got 20 years in the federal penitentiary. Um, what's What's... What's happening is that this was this was an attack, uh, a nationwide attack on our critical infrastructure by what may have been, for all intents and purposes, the Russians, the Chinese, or the Iranians. It was an attempt to um, destroy the integrity of the American democratic process. So those of you who are worried don't understand, A, you don't apparently understand what's at stake, and B, you don't understand Trump. And that's one of the reasons why it's, it's you know, I'm not that anxious to go back to social media. I've been telling you guys for five years that you're all underestimating Trump, and now I'm looking at the usual, sus I, I went and I looked at conservative websites that I haven't looked at since 2015, and Okay, the only guy who appears to know what's going on is a guy on Twitter named Ron Coleman, uh, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.
And uh, I think Ron Col Coleman knows what's going on. He said, they've jumped the shark, my friends. Trust me. Um, so I think Ron Coleman knows what's going on. But this is a national security issue, and Trump created a brand new DHS uh, law enforcement agency to prevent election fraud. So um, the fact that it was done with paper, uh, uh, we're talking, I mean, um, I think, okay, even Georgia, Georgia, everybody has paper ballots now. And in the case of, of since this fraud was perpetrated almost 100%, if not 100% with mail-in ballots, uh, finding out which are real and which are fake is going to take about two days. Um, so here's what's going to happen. Either. Okay. So I've been saying this, but I want you to see other people saying this too, because for some reason, uh, you know, human beings have been conditioned to listen to a lot of people saying it. Didn't I tell you the president has got this? Didn't I say, don't listen? Didn't I say on Millie's show, you know, we do have special threads and recipes and stuff for dollar dollar bills. That's why you can get as close as possible, but not that close. And we did mention, and I showed you the whole video of chemical compositions when we did the ventilators. And this is the reason that I put all these things together for you is to at that point when we're at the press, right, to sit there and then look back. Because when you see and look back, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. So I look, Thomas he is so individual. I follow him all the time. You know, when he was talking about Pasafari and stuff, totally loved it in a cringy way. But, uh, you know, instead of just telling you one day, I wanted to give it to you over a few years. I, in 2018, I was telling you what's happening and all in little doses because on, when you've been conditioned to listen now, and that's it. And oh yeah, well, you're just saying it because people are like, oh my gosh, we need to take arms. We need to go out in the street. It's like, no, you can make yourself heard with 55 cents, a massive, massive wave where you can dump a bunch somewhere and people will be like, whoa, um, that's something, right? We don't have to. Our president is a genius. This is not trust the plan, sit pretty. This is the, we just need 55 cents to make a visual that can be used in order to answer certain actions. Kind of like, how do we pull the contracts from these stupid corrupt generals? I don't know. Maybe we do a video like Shadowgate and give it, uh, give it to the authorities and say, well, you know, now that this is out, we have to investigate. How do we uh, check out that Comey was trying to cover up Hillary's emails for the Russia and created the Russia hoax? I don't know. Maybe Tori can do a show on that for a few years. And then maybe she could put a screenshot of, you know, here's the receipt where they paid CrowdStrike. And I don't know, maybe we can look and see the SD cards that Tori sent us. I don't know. And then maybe we can mention it in Shadowgate and point it out and suddenly, whoop, you know, it's circular reporting, right? Didn't they say that they used the Yahoo News to confirm what Christopher Steele was saying? You're reporting too.
you're the news. We are the news. So um, little by little, as I've been giving you some information, see, all of you were like, oh my gosh, you mentioned Kodak. And you showed us that whole video with chemicals and nah, 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 and how they're did it. And I was telling you, it's because they're making stuff and then you can get it at your house and print things like medicines and other stuff. I told you about nanomaterials, how they bind with biological and non-biological things, and they can be seamless, but you can always see a seam if you know what you're looking for. So now you can see this is them in full panic mode. They still believe that the media is in charge because you have been demoralized for decades. They believe that they aren't in charge. And you know what? unwillingly and willingly, many people will urge you to pour out on the streets. I mean, it's like that expert decoder. <laughs> I know best. Trolls are telling you not to go out in the street. No, don't. Because that is what they want. The Sunrise Movement, Palm Collective, all these stupid little names. They're all lying in wait for you to go out. They're going to come find you. They're going to come find you. But anyway, let's 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 listen to what else Thomas has to tell you. And then all you need to do is think of the little clues that I've been giving you. And then you're like, click, 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 click. And suddenly, boom. The CISA is going to basically raid five or six states and seize all the ballots and arrest people. And they're going to go to jail for 5,000 years. Um, or the Supreme Court is going to rule that all these states must have recounts and this time the republican observers okay the 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 election this election has proven that states can no longer be trusted with national elections without federal supervision so this time the republican observers are going to have armed federal escorts and the armed federal escorts are going to make sure that these people um, get to watch and get to check every single ballot themselves. And um, it's, it's, it's going to re be resolved one way or another. Um, so this is a law enforcement issue for which Trump created a new federal agency. And uh, Chris Krebs, who runs the CISA said that he took the job to ensure the, uh, the integrity of the election process for the sake of his children. <laughs> so uh, what do you think he's going to do? So I've put a link to the relevant page below. So you're all looking at it the wrong way. You're, you're thinking that Trump is going to strictly go through the courts. And if uh, two conservatives defect, it turns out to be four to five on the part of corruption and, and banana republic, then you're thinking, oh, that's the end. No, this is a national security issue. And they're going to unravel this and Trump will be declared the winner. That's the only outcome. Now, I did not predict this because it's political suicide. So what you need to start doing is you start, you need to start viewing this as an act of absolute desperation. There was no way this was going to work. And since it was done so utterly clumsily, I mean, it, I, you know, um, 
there's this idea and and okay i know where they got this idea from establishment republicans they're all going oh well better luck next time la 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 and trump's base we're not putting up with that so um we're going to see at every national level from now on we're going to see um federal supervision that doesn't interfere with the rights of the states to conduct elections as they see fit it just makes sure that they don't ever do this again and they will not do this again this this is another this is the mother of all tiger pits that trump dug and you need to start adding up how many um how many of trump's enemies are now dead in the water um his obvious enemies in the opposers uh, the press, Fox News is dead. Um, all polling companies are dead. Uh, let's see, um, big tech. After the election, um, you know, Twitter and Google and Facebook get dismantled. They get broken up. Uh, uh, you know, Twitter loses its uh, its Section Two Thirty. Uh, protection and it gets sued into oblivion but it gets sued until it it becomes what it claims to have always been um it'll still be here but it'll just you know um jack dorsey is gonna he's gonna look like he's 250 years old uh the guy is not a smart guy um and you know mark zuckerberg um Zuckerberg has severe mental problems. Um, Google, I remember that that weirdo crying after Trump won. They all get broken up. Um, because this is a national security issue. And it can't be allowed to ever happen again. And it won't be. Um, everybody's been red-pilled now. And, you know, uh, essentially my work is done. So I'm going to have a talk with Saul on Saturday on our show called Big Beard Blather, well, I'll ex where I'll expand on that. But, you know, um, I need a break. Uh, after five years, the vast majority of everybody still don't know Trump. And it's like, you know, I've, 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 got, to, I've got to have some me time. Um, so... You guys go out there and, and tell people. Um, not that it'll do any good, but try. I've been breaking my ass for like five years, and, you know, I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. So um, I'm doing other stuff right now, but I made this video to tell you you're all looking in the wrong direction, as always. That's what's up. Trump created a new federal agency that is dedicated to fighting this kind of thing so whoever did this is sunk yep so there you go lots of people going to jail Click. lots of people going to jail i told you that lots of people for a lot of years we talked about it all summer this is a national security concern they're all going to jail yesterday massive 
massive roundup and it began bar is super duper busy and for anyone telling you or undermining no the president he's not going to tell you he's going to play dumb do you know how many times i've had to play dumb you have no idea you have absolutely no idea and being a woman it's a lot easier too because they just assume we're dumb you know so um i've i've shared the link i want you guys to remember Hey, 5th of November happened, and that's what's up. I mean, social media has the power to change the world, right? They have the power. There's 41.2 million tweeters in Brazil. Did you know that? 90 million Facebook users in India. 3.6 million Facebook users in Kenya. 6.5 in South Africa. 600 million Weibo users in China. 46 Gante users in Russia. Huh. Social media is everywhere. And they helped create a digital public platform. And so they believe that they have the power to steer those conversations, to uh, steer freedom of expression, to steer your ideologies, and to steer social change. And just so you know, you know that in Jamaica, for HIV, they send it over social media. In Mexico, they use social media to talk about cartels, hits, and everything. Uh, there's a bribery uh, reporting site, you know, a Karen site in India to report that. Fundraising for ISIS in Syria was used, and they used it as save money, the children, blah, blah, blah. And then when the tsunamis happen, they use social media to raise money. Elections, earthquakes, uh, everything you need to know is at your fingertips. This is where the AI kicks in. Hashtag, 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 hashtag. They are in charge of everything. And censorship is so easy. They can cause a divide. They can cause us to fracture. And they can cause us to believe that someone is president when they are not. Because they said so. They can block words. They can block voices. They can block music. They can detect it with nice fancy algorithms. But the one thing they can't do is silence the people. And the people are now seeing... The truth and i and i and i said there is no way no way that we are going to get the election the board of elections to tell us anything every single state it was a trump landslide every single state now listen to this here's where it's going to be super landslide picture this when this all gets put out and these people around there, I told you these are federal friends. They're going to jail for a long time. That sucker that was, uh, you know, exposed, those suckers that were exposed by James O'Keefe, <laughs> they're already in a hot box. They're already done. They are toast. They are going to jail. All those videos, those people just marking stuff, throwing stuff. What about the plumbers? Did you hear how President Trump talked about the plumber? The leak? The leak on election night in the room that had the ballots, but nothing was wrong? Well, he came by with a nice little tote with all his tools. Ooh, what was in that tote? Or all these ballots being dropped off or picked up in random bags and zipping them up, not even locked with keys, you know, a good change of succession, you know, to code and everything. Hey, it was a fix. But we knew about the fix. So what do you do? Sting operation. Uh, I know you're going to rob a bank. I know all your friends and maybe not all of them, but I know which bank you're going to and I know which ways you can do it. So then I hire a bunch of Tories, 
to say which way do you think they're going to come? This one, this one, this one. What's all right? Let's cover it. Let's uh, make sure we can track money. Let's make sure we have some really interesting uh, chemical polish on the floor that isn't slippery but can stick to the bottom of the shoe. That way we can use a special light to watch them walk to where they're going. Not only that, when we see them walk in, all cars in a five-mile radius parked with drivers or anything, we're going to just slap on little drone stickers on the bottom so we can track every single vehicle. And then that way, we can find them. We can have trackers that they can eliminate at some point in the car, but then we'll know that it was in that car and we can track that car. <laughs> and then we catch them. Not in the act. We're not going to stop them down the road with all that money and all that cash, right? We're going to let them leave. We're going to have them deposit it in bank accounts. We're going to have them wash that money. We're going to have them share it with their friends so we can see all of the friends that took the money. And we're going to see all of the bank accounts and all the addresses and all the parties they did. And we're just going to sit and watch for six months. And then, boom. So this is what we've been doing. You know, stakeouts are really, really tiring. And so that is how you do stuff the right way. You sit and you watch. You bug and you stick. You track and you trace. And you just pay attention. Ah, never have drone stickers? Damn. That'll be a conversation for another time. So from now until whatever path we need to take, don't be distracted. There's so many people that are demoralized. They're sitting there saying, oh my God, we need to go to court. Oh my God, we need to recount. It's all a show. You're watching the most amazing movie. And we're playing along. And these idiots are now starting to figure it out. They're now starting to figure it out that they're done. So they're going to go all in with the media. They're going to tell you how horrible President Trump is, that he won't. Oh, he's just a sore loser. And it's like, bitch, you're going to jail. He's just a president-elect Biden who can't tie his shoe is going to be the best. And he just won't it and then it's like then why did alaska take so many days to count ballots like what when the fuck has that ever happened that they can't count ballots when have they had a problem counting ballots alaska 10 people live there and they took so many days to come back with a result are you kidding alaska like if you were gonna say california that has so many millions i'd say whatever but freaking alaska like what the heck what what is going on? <laughs> it's because they're busted. Ask how many people got arrested in Alaska. Oh, maybe we don't know because they're under secret arrest because we don't want all of them to know that we caught them. And that way they could say, oh, it's just rumor mill. It's uh, conspiracy theories. But hey, if they're hearing it from a few people, they know that shit's real. And so I don't forget I'm on parlor. And, you know, if they, <laughs> they take down the president's Twitter account, it's super game on. That's when it's going to go nuts, nuts. So let's just hope they don't pull it and they take their losses. Because we got them all. The president said it. We caught them all. Guess what? The mainstream media, totally obsolete. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear you. And for anyone advocating for people to go on the street, it's wrong. 55 cents. 55 cents. Could you imagine if we had a dump? 3,000 in one day, 3,000 in one day, identical message. That's a movement, 3,000 in one day. So that's the plan. I'm formulating a great template. We all print it and we all say, okay, we're all going to the mailbox, 55 cents. Let's all send it. And it lands at the same place, almost at the same time. Huh? 
You can't ignore that now, can you? You can't. That's how we make our voices heard. Civilized. Because we already know we won. Like I said, the war is over. The war is over. They just don't want to face reality. And so we have to pry it off of their dead loser hands. Like dead loser hands. On that note, guys, I want to wish you guys a great evening. We'll be doing movie night. Dreamed a thousand dreams Been on it by a million screams But I can hear the marching feet Them moving into the streets Now did you read the news today? They say the danger's come our way But I can see the fire still alight They're burning into the night There's too many men There's too many people Thinking too many